church. As we turn our attention to the word of the Lord now, let's pray together. Will you bow with me and you pray where you are and I'll pray out loud for us. Father in heaven, we come to the point in our worship service where we turn our attention to your holy word. God, as we stand before your perfection and your holiness, we understand that we are sinful, that we are unworthy, and that the only reason that we can even come to you and speak in prayer is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for covering our sins and making a way for us to communicate, for there not to be any need of of a priest, because you are our great high priest. You are the mediator. You are the go-between. Thank you for listening to our prayers. Thank you for giving us your perfect word. And so now, Lord, as, as sinful as we are, we ask that you would use this messenger to deliver your message. Not my words, Lord, but yours. Father, may we all learn and grow from your word today. Would you please encourage those of us who are in despair Lord, would you comfort those of us who are grieving and mourning? Father, would you challenge those of us who have become apathetic? And Father, those of us who have become lazy in our faith, challenge us, Lord. Father, would you motivate us and inspire us to charge into this week living for you and you alone, seeking to glorify your name, to stand firm and not be shaken by this world? Lord, all of this is possible through the reading and teaching and proclamation of your holy word. So, Father, would you add the blessing of your spirit as I seek to preach next. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's turn together as we continue our sermon series to the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians. So, we'll be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you have an iPad or a phone, you can scroll there. If you prefer to follow along on the screens, it will be up there uh, momentarily. If you don't have any Bible that you and you'd like to hold one in your hand while you read, there are some you can borrow from the back of the pew there in front of you. If you don't own your own copy, feel free to take one of those as our gift to you. We would be happy to bless you in that way. But regardless of how you're accessing the word of the Lord, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? As we look together now in 2 Thessalonians, we're going to read all 17 verses of chapter 2. I'll read for us when I've completed the reading. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you are grateful for the word of the Lord, I encourage you to respond at that point by saying thanks be to God. Let's Look at the word of the Lord together now. The Apostle Paul writes, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be 
God, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now we come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and if you'll remember, there are three main thoughts, one for each chapter as Paul writes to the Thessalonians in this second letter. The first chapter, he is encouraging them to endure persecution, because what we tend to fail to realize often is that the Thessalonians were some of the most afflicted and persecuted people in the early church. They are so afflicted and so persecuted that they believe that the day of the Lord has already come. They are susceptible to disinformation, to seeds that are sown among them that are lies, that are filled with false reports and false information. And things are so hard in Thessalonica. There is so much affliction. There are so many struggles. There are so many trials That when people say, the day of the Lord's already come, the day of judgment has already passed, the Lord's return has already taken place, it's so hard on them that they believe it and they latch on to it. So they read Paul's first letter and then they continue in persecution. Paul explains how the day of the Lord, how the return of the Lord will take place in some vague descriptions, but also Paul talked to them about this while he was there with them in person. So that first chapter encourages them to endure persecution, endure affliction. The second chapter, he's going to do what we just heard. He's going to go through some prerequisites to the day of the Lord, to that return of the Lord. Then in the third chapter, he's going to give a word of admonition to the idol. So those are the three chapters. So we've heard this endure persecution, and then we get to some specifics about the day of the Lord. But, but I want us to realize 
and keep in our hearts and minds when we approach Scripture. The Bible gives us every answer we need to live holy and faithful and devoted lives to Christ. I want you to rest assured, I rest assured that the Bible gives us every answer to every question we need answered in order to live a holy and righteous life before the Lord. What the Bible does not do is give us every answer that we want to every question that we may have. The Bible gives us what we need, but the Lord did not give us everything we want in Scripture. And so Paul was with the Thessalonians. There are things that they discussed that Paul references in this letter that would click immediately in their mind. But I want you to pay close attention that what we just read, there is no name given for a man of lawlessness. I want us to understand that every generation from when Paul wrote this until now has depicted somebody in their generation as the man of lawlessness. Jesus is coming back soon. In every generation, they have said, surely these are the last days. And I know that you and I say that all the time. But here's the thing. Every day since Jesus rose from the dead is in the last days. Do we get that? The last days have been going on for over 2,000 years. There's the prior days. That's the Old Testament. The last days are after the resurrection of Jesus. Because once the resurrection of Jesus happened, Jesus is coming back and could come back at any time. These events could take place. And every description that we get of the events before the end of time, before Jesus comes back, are always generic. There will be wars and rumors of war. Find a generation where there hasn't been wars and rumors of war. There will be earthquakes. There's terrible earthquakes. That earthquake in Turkey happened and people in Turkey and Syria died in tens of thousands. And there were all sorts of people writing online saying, that's it. That's what Jesus was talking about. The days are soon. He's coming. He is. That's true. But those earthquakes have been going on for thousands of years. Everybody picks out a person to be their man of lawlessness. I want you to know. Paul doesn't write and say that the man of lawlessness that will be revealed is the Archduke Franz Ferdinand before World War I begins. All right? That wasn't him. It could have been, but it wasn't him. I want you to know Hitler is not described. He doesn't say before the man of lawlessness, Adolf Hitler himself, is revealed. And let me tell you something. If anybody could have taken the title of man of lawlessness, Adolf Hitler has got to be at the top of the line. You know, it's the most illogical thing in the world that the man did not take Jews and gypsies and those that he was trying to eliminate and put them to work for his purpose of winning the war. This man was so sadistic, he captured all of those peoples and just put them to death. Took away resources from fighting the war just to put this specific race of people to death. If ever there's a man of lawlessness, it's got to be up there with Hitler. But Paul doesn't say that, that it's Hitler. It's not Barack Obama. It's not Donald Trump. It's not Joe Biden. And everybody wants to say that it's this person or that person. Listen, Paul is general on purpose. There will be a man of lawlessness. And that man will do a lot of things like what Adolf Hitler did, like what Joseph Stalin did. Just go through the litany of historical figures who have done evil, sinful, atrocious things. And all of them could be made to fit that man of lawlessness. 
But what Paul is trying to tell them is don't freak out. Don't have a come apart. Don't fall to pieces because you think you missed the second coming of the Lord Jesus. I want us to look at how he bookends this chapter, right? He introduces this chapter and closes this chapter in the same way. The meat of what we see about the man of lawlessness is supposed to be marinated in the first and last verses of chapter 2. So look with me in verse 2, all right? What does he say? Brothers, do not be quickly shaken. Do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Don't be shaken by these reports. Don't be made scared. Don't be fearful based on these reports. You know my teaching, says Paul. I was there in person. I wrote you a letter. Don't be quickly shaken. And then look at what he says in verse 15, right before he offers those prayers in 16 and 17. In verse 15, he says, so then stand firm. So don't be quickly shaken. Stand firm. Everything that happens in the middle between those two, Paul is writing to accomplish that goal. It's like when you write an introduction and put your thesis statement at the end of the introduction for your essay, and then in your conclusion, you restate your thesis. Paul has written an essay in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, and he says, don't be shaken up and stand firm. How can we not be shaken up? How can we not How can we stand firm in the midst of all that's going on? That's the question the Thessalonians are asking. That's what Paul is addressing in chapter 2. So we like to think that today we're filled with all sorts of misinformation. And we really are. I mean, you, you can have reports that historical, famous, all sorts of people have passed away. I mean, anything that they put Abraham Lincoln's picture to and write words underneath it does not necessarily mean that Abraham Lincoln said that, okay? That's one of the most popular things to do. Just pick a different historical figure, put their picture up on Instagram, on Facebook, on Snapchat, on Twitter, on wherever, and then put any quote you want to up underneath them. I'm not even sure if Einstein really ever said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I've heard it so many times, I attribute it to Einstein, but at this point, who really knows? I want you to understand, we as a church have to understand that's been going on since Jesus was here. That's been going on forever. There have been false reports and false letters and false claims. Maybe they couldn't get them out as easily as they get them out today, but there have been false reports and false claims. So over the last week or so, maybe you're aware that there was a bank that had a big failure, Silicon Valley Bank. That was one of the first bank failures in all of human history to be a Twitter bank failure. The pandemonium did not start from somebody saying, hey, you better go get your money from the bank out loud in person. For the first time, somebody tweeted it and said, hey, guys, this Silicon Valley Bank's not looking so good. Somebody else retweeted that. Somebody else retweeted that. Somebody else tweeted and said, guys, you better go get your money. And before you knew it, there was a run on the bank. It was easy to get to a large audience, and it was easy to get the information out there. I'm no bank expert, okay? I can't tell you whether they were going to go under or not, whether it was a good idea to say go get your money or not, okay? But that's social media causing a run on the bank. But it's not the first time there's been a run on the bank, is it? I mean, like if you've ever watched This a Wonderful Life, you know poor George Bailey had a hard time when they came for the building loan, right? Listen, 
You don't have to have social media to have a run on the bank. You don't have to have Fox News and CNN to have misinformation and disinformation. Look at what Paul says. There's three categories in which the Thessalonians were under attack. Three categories. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered together to him, gives them kind of two separate names, two separate events possibly, but we're not sure. He says, look, don't be shaken, don't be alarmed, either by a spirit, a spoken word, or a letter. Why would Paul mention those three things? Unless that was the report Paul heard. That there were people who were claiming to prophesy, and maybe there was a demonic spirit that was in them prophesying and trying to confuse the people to say that the Lord had already come, and they had missed the coming of the Lord Jesus. Don't, don't, don't be scared by a spoken word, a report, a word of mouth going from one person to the next. Oh, we already missed the word. We already missed the return of the Lord. It's the telephone game. It's the rumor mill, right? Don't be alarmed or made shaken up by a word of mouth or a letter. People had gone so far as to impersonate Paul in letters and send letters to all of the churches claiming to be Paul, giving them bad information. So then Paul is reminding them, remember what I said to you. And let's, let's take a look at why it was so easy for the Thessalonians to be confused by this spirit, this spoken word, and this letter. Turn with me back a couple pages in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians. I want to read the section that Paul deals with the return of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians. It's going to be 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 5, 11. So, so bear with me, but I want us to pay close attention to how susceptible the Thessalonians had to be. After reading this from Paul, they had to really be thinking, okay, we're looking for the Lord's return. Did you know every author in Scripture was expecting for the Lord to return before they died? They thought that the return of the Lord was so imminent that they were in the last days. They were so convinced of it. They talked about people who hadn't died. They just fell asleep. They were convinced that God's coming back and he's coming back in our lifetime. That's why I say every generation. Because the Thessalonians read these verses and were convinced it's happening any day now. Here he goes. And this is Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Take a, a brief break with me. He only tells them those things so that they might be encouraged. And that's why they're talking about these things. They're in, 
the midst of terrible persecution and affliction and trial. And when somebody comes in and says, I just lost my job, when somebody comes in and says, my kid has got cholera and he's not going to recover from it, when somebody comes in and says, my cousin's got the plague and he's going to die, when somebody comes in and says, they just killed Joe down the street, they encourage one another and say, there's going to be a day and Jesus is going to return. And those of us who are still here, those of us who haven't fallen asleep, we're going to rise. And then those who have fallen asleep, they're going to meet us in the air and we're going to always be with Jesus. So they always were talking about the return of the Lord. But then they miss chapter 5. What does Paul start telling them in chapter 5? Verse 1. Now, concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. And be sober, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet for the hope of salvation. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. And again, repeats this phrase in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you're doing. So what they did is they paid attention to verses 1, 2, and 3. The Lord's going to return, and it's going to be like a thief in the night. The Lord's going to return, and it's going to be like a thief in the night. And when somebody told them, it already happened, you missed it, they completely forgot what Paul said. You're not in the darkness. You're not in the night. So if the thief comes, it's not going to surprise you. You're children of light, children of day. You're not destined for the wrath of God. So when it comes, it will be a time of celebration for you. You won't be left out. You won't be left behind. So don't bother thinking about the seasons and the times. Don't be caught up in trying to figure out the exact day. Just always be ready. Just always be ready. And so then somebody came along and said, Ha, you may have been ready, but you missed it. You missed the boat. Jesus has already come and gone. So that's when Paul decides to write this letter. And I I love what he tells us about the man of lawlessness. Regardless of if it's Adolf Hitler or Obama or Trump or Biden or whoever or Stalin or whoever you want to put, all right, Nero, any Caesar, anybody, you put whatever name in that place, it's not a good deal to be the man of lawlessness. It ain't something to be worried about because let's reread what the fate of the man of lawlessness is. Here's what he does. No one should deceive you in any way. Verse 3, for that day will not come until the rebellion comes first. So there will be this great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness will be revealed. This man of lawlessness is not Satan. This man of lawlessness is the son of destruction. In verse 4, he's going to oppose and he's going to exalt himself. And he's going to be against every so-called God or object of worship. He's going to take the seat in the temple of God. He's going to proclaim that he is God. That's why so many people try and say that this is Nero. They try to point to the fact that this already happened 
in A.D. 70 when the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed. And then there are others who say, no, 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 this man of lawlessness cannot come until there's a new temple built on the temple mound in Jerusalem, so Jesus can't come back yet. Again, it is not our place to get caught up with seasons and times. It's our place to be ready at all times. So this man of lawlessness is going to set himself up to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. I love that description. You know the only thing holding the man of lawlessness back right now? God the Father. What, what kind of power can you have against God when God's like, nah, you can't go yet. No, no, you can't go yet. Baseball season's just starting up, right? And I just imagine those kids that are eager. They're on third. Let me steal home. Let me steal home. I'm, I'm ready, coach. I'm ready, coach. And that coach's like, nope, 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 nope. Wait, wait, wait. And then that pass ball comes through. The, go, 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 now, now, now. And they run down there and they slide home trying to steal home plate. Listen, the player can't move without the coach's permission. Only even more so, the man of lawlessness can't do anything until the Lord's like, okay, now go start your rebellion. Okay, now you can go do, I'll go let you cause chaos for just a little, I'll allow it. He's not the author of the chaos, he's allowing chaos to come in. And then, he takes care of the chaos. <laughs> in verse 8, then he'll be revealed. And I, <laughs> this is just amazing, I, I love it. Here's the great battle. It's the great epic battle of all of our history, right? They draw their swords, the champions are on the field. It's going down and there's going to be an epic fight between the man of lawlessness and Jesus Christ. In verse 8 he says, Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth. He's not going to raise a finger. He's not going to draw his sword. He's going to breathe. Folks, this could be a sneeze that kills the man of lawlessness. Do we understand it's just the breath of his mouth? The man of lawlessness steps up like he's all big and bad in front of Jesus, like he's going to do something to the man who's been holding him back this entire time. And Jesus is going to be like, and it's over. When Jesus comes back, it's the most encouraging thing in the world. We line up beside our Savior. We're like, we're ready for battle, Lord. We'll go to the gates of hell with you. And Jesus is like, hang on one second. I, I just, let me just take a big sigh. Let me just breathe and take all this in. <sighs> Battle's over. We win. Over. Jesus did it all. It's done. The breath of his mouth, y'all. Is that not exciting to you that there's not even a need for a battle? That the Lord Jesus just put Satan and the man of lawlessness and all of the forces of darkness at bay kills them just breathing out. This is the same God who created everything by the word of his mouth. He breathed out and spoke and all the universe came into existence. And in the same way, he will put the forces of darkness in their place just from the breath of his mouth. This is what Paul wants us to focus on. This is the encourage one another, build one another up with these words. There's no need to worry, no matter the affliction, no matter the trial, no matter the persecution, no matter the struggle, no matter the hurt. No matter how hard life is, no matter how messed up your family may be, no matter how tough your job is, no matter how hard it is to keep your business afloat, whether the bank fails or whether the bank succeeds, we have a Savior who rules over all of it and can put it all in place with one breath from His mouth. And if we can't hope in that, we got no hope, period. If we can't take solace in, no matter how crazy this world's get, 
And no matter if all of that things that happened a hundred years ago come all about full circle again and we have to go through some other kind of great depression, we still have Jesus. If we don't have that, we've got nothing. You can't trust the bank. You can't trust the president. You can't trust this world. This world is sin-cursed. And either sometime in the past or sometime in the future, there's a man of lawlessness who will come and draw everybody unto himself and make everybody think that he's got all the answers. Do not be fooled because the Lord Jesus will put him in his place with the breath of his mouth. And so don't be shaken. Stand firm, my brothers, my sisters. Stand firm. No matter what the devil throws at you, no matter what our sin-cursed world throws at us, stand firm and do not be shaken. Maybe you don't have all the answers that you want. Maybe I don't have all the answers that I want, but I know who has the answers and I know who to trust in and I know who to lean on, whether life's as good as it's ever going to be or whether it's the most hellacious experience that anyone has ever had. We can stand firm in Jesus. He controls it all with one breath of his mouth. Whether your team wins, whether your team loses, whether school's great or whether school's awful, whether everybody loves you or whether everybody hates you, whether you got enough or you got too much, stand firm then in Jesus. Stand firm and hold to the traditions that we have in Scripture. Hold tight to His Word. It will not fail you. He will not fail you. Church, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is, is not written necessarily to give us details about the end of time. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is written to encourage and remind us that regardless of how it goes down, Jesus wins. And you better be on Jesus' team when it goes down or you're going to be on the losing team. So let me just ask. I know I look out among all of you. I know so many of you. I know where so many of you stand, but some of you I don't. And so let me just ask, are you on Jesus' team? Paul says we have this hope because God sent his one and only Son. That same thing they started off singing about in the choir. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, who came and was born of a virgin, who lived a perfect life, who died the death that we deserved, who took the penalty for our sins upon his own flesh, upon his own body. You and I deserved to die, but Jesus died in our place. And then three days later, he raised him from the dead with all power and all healing in his wings that whosoever would believe in Jesus would never perish but would have everlasting life. Do you have confidence that you have everlasting life in Jesus? If Jesus were to show up right now, because it could happen any moment, any day, if he were to show up right now, would you be excited or terrified? Would you say, come get me, Lord, I'm ready. Or would you say, oh, Lord, Lord, no, not, not now, not now, I need some more time. Where do you stand? And if you're here this morning and you're standing with Jesus, I know the world's crazy. I know we don't know whether we can trust the banks or the economy or the government or, or, or all the craziness of life. But I want to encourage you, don't be quickly alarmed or shaken Stand firm with Jesus, knowing that He is Jehovah Jireh, the God, the One who will provide. 
He is the Lord, the great I am. There's no better place to put your trust and your confidence than in Him and Him alone. No matter what's going on, stand firm in Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth and encouragement that is found in your word. And earnestly, Lord, we pray that you would give us strength and hope and courage to stand with you, to trust in you. Father, if, if we read 50 different commentaries, we'll have 50 different answers about the details and the specifics of when you return But Lord, help us to be content in knowing that every single one of them agrees that you will return. That you are coming back to call us home. Help us to have courage and strength to stand firm believing you. Taking you at your word. You've never failed to fulfill a promise and you won't start now. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has not trusted and the truth of your word, and the truth of your promises. Would you move on their heart today that they might believe in you, that they might be part of those who are caught up in the air with you when you return. Father, thank you that you made a way. We didn't deserve a way, but you made one. We deserved death, and you died it for us. Lord, would you please take this time of response that we have every service. And Father, whether somebody comes down front or whether they pray where they stand, I just, Lord, I ask that you would move among us, that you would deal with our hearts, that we would not leave this place the same as when we arrived, that we would be strengthened, that we would fall before you and say, God, give me courage, give me strength to stand and to stand firm. Father, I ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven.